I pray all of you have had a wonderful Thanksgiving time. It's been a great time with family and friends. But like today, the Christians need a word of encouragement. That's what I plan to do, share with you today on helping us know how we can take a bold stand of faith. Seems impossible, but it was just a little over a year ago, November the 20th, 2009, that there was a press conference in Washington, D.C. This group of Christians released what has been called the Manhattan Declaration. Many of us have had the privilege of signing that declaration. It's a 4,700-word document declaring a defense of the sanctity of marriage, the traditional marriage and sanctity of life, and religious liberty. They went on to say in the preamble of that document, like those who have gone before us, Christians today are called to proclaim the gospel of a costly grace to protect the intrinsic value and dignity of the human person and to stand for the common good. I fully agree with these words and we need a new generation. We need to be a people who just don't sign a document but who are willing to live it out. We need a Christian generation that is willing to take a bold stand for our faith. Now you need only look at the television, listen to the radio and read the newspapers. If you dare to take such a bold stand, You'll be called bigoted. You'll be called intolerant. You certainly will not be politically correct. But I believe it is God's call for those of us who claim to be Christians. And for that reason, I want to give you a word of encouragement, how we can be such a bold people. I'm going to be using the example of Joshua from the Old Testament. So if you would, turn to Joshua chapter 1. As we learn from this man how we too can take a bold stand for our faith. And in one verse, verse 8, we find four secrets for taking such a stand. The Bible says in Joshua 1.8, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it, For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. Now, in Joshua 1, verses 1 through 9, we have an exchange. God is speaking to Joshua. Think about the the role of this man. His mentor, his leader, Moses, had died. The man through whom God had worked so many great miracles And Joshua came on the scene to lead the people. And he needed to know exactly how he could do that. And that's why God spoke directly to him. And I believe God speaks directly to us from his word to help us understand how we can take such a bold stand of faith. The first secret that I have found from the example of Joshua is that God's word must be our foundation. God spoke to Joshua And he said, do not turn from my word to the right or the left. That's in verse 7, the B part. He said, now, Joshua, you're going to face many obstacles, many challenges, but press ahead. Keep focused on my word and what I tell you. I'll be with you. Don't turn to the right. Don't turn to the left. This book will be your guide. 
The Word of God, we believe as Christians, is the inspired Word of God. The Bible says all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. All of it is given. It is God-breathed, and it is profitable to help us know how to live the Christian life. It is truth without error, and there is no other book on planet Earth that makes such a claim. It never has to be updated. It's always relevant. See, God spoke it. He meant what he said and said what he meant, and we need to understand that. This book is the unchanging foundation that we can use just as Joshua could use it. It will be for our lives and for all that follow us. So we need to proclaim the truths of God's Word. I'd like to ask you this morning, do you have a foundation for your life? What do you believe and what is the guiding force for your life to know how to live as an individual, to know how to be a good husband, to know how to be a good father, to know how to be a wife, a mother, a Christian. How do you know how to live such a life in an age when we're bombarded with so many words from the media telling us to do this or that so we can be fulfilled? But God's Word is the unchanging source for our foundation. So we establish our beliefs, our lifestyle, how we treat people, how we act and react. What about a time of crisis? How do you act? When someone treats you in an unkind way, when someone is vindictive towards you, how do you act? How do you react? Are you loving? Are you kind? Are you forgiving? Are you revenge-oriented? Are you vindictive? Are you willing to forgive as God in Christ has forgiven you? That's the foundation of our life. So that's the secret, number one. What is the foundation? For me, I've chosen to live my life on the Bible as the Word of God. It is the foundation on which we can build a successful, prosperous Christian life. So what is your foundation? What is it today? Secret number two is God's laws, or really His protective boundaries. God said to Joshua, this book of the law, in this book, God had earlier given what? He had given to Moses the Ten Commandments. Why did he do that? Why did he give them the Ten Commandments? Did he do it to, to put them in some legalistic straitjacket? Did he do it so they could be a burden to them? When you stop and examine the Ten Commandments, they give you great liberty and great freedom because in them are God's, what I call in a series that I preached a few years ago, God's protective boundaries. We know we're secure. We know we will have the blessings of God if we live our lives within the protective boundaries of the Word of God. We know, as we study the Ten Commandments, the first four commandments tell us how to directly and properly relate and have fellowship with God. They speak directly to our relationship and our fellowship with Almighty God. Study the first four commandments. Then, understanding we have human needs, God took the next six commandments and address how we relate to one another, how we have relationships, how we have fellowship with one another. And so we can understand that the commandments were given to be a blessing to us. Look in the, the New Testament. 1 John chapter 5, verse 3. The Bible says, John the beloved apostle wrote, For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments 
and his commandments are not burdensome. God has not put a weight on our backs, but he has liberated us so we would know how to live a life that is one that will give meaning and purpose to our lives. The boundaries of God are an evidence of his love. Why do we do that to our children? When our children are little, we say, don't touch the stove. Now, why do you say that? Just to be a killjoy? You do it so they don't get their hands burned. You give them boundaries and safety and security. If you give children clear teachings, it shows your great love for them. And one of the greatest signs of a lack of love is when we let people break the boundaries with no consequences. There are consequences. There should be in our relationship with one another, and there certainly is with God. You break God's boundaries, and he will discipline you. Well, why does he do that? Why do you parents discipline your children? Because you love them. You care for them. You want to meet their needs, and you know that by disciplining them, you will be showing you love them. You had the boundaries for a purpose, and that's exactly what God's Word is. It gives us an understanding of the boundaries of His love. It is love that motivates the Christian, not legalism. God's Word. Is it a source of love? Is it a love letter? Do you go to it looking for words of encouragement, looking for words of strength, looking for words of direction, looking for how you can live your life in a way that will give you fulfillment and meaning and purpose? Or do you go to it legalistically? I hope and pray you have a daily quiet time. But I hope you do it because you want to have an encounter with God. You want him to speak to your heart so you know how to live that day. Because you'll go into opportunities and you'll go into circumstances of the day. You'll need clear direction in making some business decision. And in the Word of God, earlier that day, you have been rooted and grounded in the foundation of God's Word. So you know how to react in that seemingly unexpected situation, that challenge that you have. So I encourage you to look into God's Word and let it be a word that will give you a sense of protection instead of bondage, liberty and freedom and love. Now, the third secret, though, if you're going to do that, God expects you to be obedient. You see, this is, the, this is so important for us to understand obedience is absolutely essential. God told Joshua, meditate on this book. Not so you go out and quote scriptures and seem spiritual to others, but you meditate on it that you may be careful to obey it. Are you careful to obey the Word of God? That's what God told Joshua. That's what he tells us. You see, Joshua had been around the ranch a few times. He was on the 40-year wandering all through the wilderness. He had seen the consequences of disobedience of God's people. What should have been a very short journey became a 40-year time of wandering, seemingly aimlessly, but even in the wandering, God was guiding and directing them. But I think a more profound impact was when Joshua saw what discipline God would bring on his mentor, Moses. You see... He was there when God told Moses, speak to the rock and I'll bring forth water to give to my people. Moses was a little frustrated with his people. 
because they'd been disobeying, they'd been uh, going in different directions, not doing exactly what they should be doing. And so in anger, what did he do? He struck the rock. That's a direct disobeying of the Word of God. Now, God went ahead and let water come out. But then he told Moses, you get the sea over to the promised land, but you will not be able to enter it. Now, that had to make a profound impact on this man Joshua because he saw what God did. God disciplined him. God disciplined his friend. God disciplined his mentor because he disobeyed him. So he understood the importance of obeying God's word. The same should be true in our lives. Our children should look at us and see us living out the truths we claim that are so important to them. We tell them not to cheat, and yet they see us marginalizing our own testimony. By the way, we are on income tax. We can all seemingly justify that because we don't like to pay exorbitant income taxes, but we have to obey the law. We have to obey the law, and our children watch that. I remember one time watching my dad as a, I was a teenager. Dad had slipped on the ice in Chicago, Illinois, had greatly injured his back, was in the hospital, and the co-owner of the company that dad and this man owned uh, took all the money, took the, the uh, secretary they had, and left town, left the nation, left the country. Dad was on his back bankrupt. But dad was a man of integrity. Though we can file bankruptcies and certainly do that with integrity, dad did not feel at that time it would be proper for him. So he let all those people out there that, that the company owed money. He said, you stand with me and I'll pay you back every penny. And I watched him flesh that out, work that out. And I saw this man of integrity work through that challenge in his life. Because he felt convicted that it was not the right thing for him to do but to pay back all that his company had borrowed to make purchases. And it made a deep impact on my life to watch this man that I greatly loved and greatly respected. So we spend time in God's Word. And we will be given opportunities. I promise you this. You read God's Word. You study God's Word. You put it on deposit. Now, what is God going to do? He's going to give us opportunities during the day to act on what we've put on deposit. In other words, to put into practice what we have studied that day. There's a purpose. There's a reason that why that devotional guide led us to read that particular scripture that day. God knew exactly the circumstances we would be facing. He knew exactly the problems we would be facing. Facing, and so he fed us his word so we could act on it. You see, faith, biblical faith, demands obedience. In fact, faith without works. Now be careful here. We're saved by grace through faith. But good works are an evidence that you genuinely have been saved because faith results in good works. Because God created us in Christ Jesus unto good works. Are there enough good works in your life to get you condemned of being a Christian? Are there any evidences of the fruit of the Spirit in your life? 
we pray for peace, love, and joy, and patience, and kindness, and all these things, and we have them in our lives as a part of the fruit of the Spirit because the moment we repented of our sin and trusted Jesus to be our Savior, God gave to us the indwelling Holy Spirit. We have received the ninefold cluster of the fruit of the Spirit so that we can flesh those things out and the Spirit would release them in our lives as we act in obedience. So faith will demand that you evidence it by your good works and by the fruit of your life. And so I ask you, how are you doing in the area of good works? Are you practicing what you preach? Do you practice what you claim to believe? Are you forgiving? Are you kind? Are you loving? Or do you hold grudges? Are you unforgiving? Those things are wrong in a Christian's life. So God gives us those opportunities. So faith demands obedience. Let me go to the last point for you. Because remember, I I really want you to be encouraged. Because I know it's a challenging day to live in. Challenge for these kids to go to school. They're inundated with all kinds of messages day in and day out. And yet as Tripp and our student ministry people put on deposit the Word of God, as parents flesh out the truths of God's words, then their kids are equipped to go to school to know how to live out their faith at school without necessarily carrying a Bible, but they carry it in their hearts. And so it's important for us to do that for them. So I close with this. There's a promised result. Do you know, this is one of the the good news promises of God's Word. We live in obedience to God's Word, and God promises that twofold result in our life. God told Joshua, as you meditate on my Word day and night, as you're careful to obey it, to live it out, hear the results. Then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. You see, as you study the book of Joshua, you will learn in this book he found the foundations of his life. He followed God's commands throughout his life, and the results were twofold. First of all, Joshua experienced, and we can experience, prosperity. Now, I know that you hear a lot of teaching and preaching today on this prosperity doctrine, and this is not the same as what some of those are doing. Here's the definition of biblical prosperity. Prosperous means to accomplish satisfactorily what is intended. It means that that, that God met all of Joshua's needs and that he will meet all of your needs. God, uh, throughout Joshua's life, he was walking down this highway and he needed courage at times. God in Joshua 1, 1 through 9 said, when you need courage, I'll give it to you. Other times he'd be discouraged and he'd need encouragement and God said, I'll give you encouragement. There were times when he needed wisdom of knowing how to act and how to react when it came to to marching around the walls of Jericho, and God shared with him those words that he needed for that time. Now, be careful. Biblical prosperity does not mean that you get rich. But it does mean this. You will have every need met that you have. Isn't that pretty wonderful? 
I mean, when God says, I will meet all of your needs, what does the Bible say in Philippians chapter 4, verse 19? God will supply all, not most, God will supply all of our needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. And when you stop and think about it, how much more prosperous can you be? Mike, how much more prosperous can you be if you have all of your needs met? Now, you may have some wants and desires out there. But if you really have all of your needs met, are you not prosperous? That's why this kind of prosperity teaching will work. Over in India, to be prosperous might mean they get a bowl of rice. Over here, we get the turkey and dressing and all the trimmings. But it works. It meets the needs of where we are. And so God says, I want you to be prosperous. I'll meet all of your needs. But there is a caveat. You've got to walk in fellowship with me. You've got to be careful to obey all that I've written in my word for you. Because when you're living in disobedience, you tie God's hands. And he cannot be free to meet your needs because you're living in disobedience. That's like if we tell our children we'll do certain things if you don't do this. But then they go and do it. Well, we'll go ahead and meet their needs anyway. One of the worst testimonies I'd ever seen. Young parents, let me tell you something. Joyce and I had some friends when we lived in Oklahoma City. We used to like to go out to eat with them. They had a couple of, couple of kiddos that just loved to press their parents. And they'd say, now, and they would tell them what not to do. Now, don't you go crawling around, around the edge of that, the, up above where we'd be eating. Don't. Don't crawl around up there. Well, that's like waving a red flag at a kid. What are they going to do? They're going to go up there and try to crawl up there. And they'd do it, and the parents would laugh and joke. But they were teaching their children disobedience about what they were doing. God says, no, you be careful to obey all that I tell you. And then I'll be free to meet all of your needs. And in that sense, you will be prosperous. Secondly, not only would Joshua, not only will we be prosperous, we will have good success. Wouldn't you like to know that you're going to have success in life? Now, success meant that Joshua would complete the assignment God had given to him. He would succeed in fulfilling the purpose of God. God said, I want to use you to lead my people into the land of promise. Was he successful? Absolutely. Why was he successful? Because he did it God's way. When they crossed the river and came up in Jericho, God told him, it didn't make sense to the generals, Joshua, wait and circle the city. It's not a very good strategy, God. We've never done it this way before. Do it my way. And that's what he tells us to do today. Do it my way. And you will have success. So this is exactly what Joshua did as he lived in obedience to God's word. And God made him prosperous, met all of his needs. God gave him great success. Jesus said something about the importance of following the word. John 8, verse 32. You will know the truth. This is truth. You will know this and the truth. This book will set you free. You see, God's Word is liberating. It, it, it is not going to 
put us in bondage. It gives us understanding of how to live our lives. Do you realize in John chapter 8, when Jesus said these words, he was saying it to some Jews who had trusted Jesus to be their personal Lord and Savior. And then he said something to them that seemed contradictory to them. He talked about that they had been enslaved and in bondage. And if you read in John chapter 8, they said this, We are Abraham's descendants, and we have never been enslaved. Well, it's contrary to their own history. They had been enslaved. And we, too, have been enslaved in our personal Egypt, in the bondage of sin. We've been enslaved, and that's what we need to be liberated from. You see, Joshua's name meant Yahweh, or the Lord is salvation. And, and Jesus is what? Lord. He is our salvation. Now, this is not very popular today, but the Bible says there's only one way that you can have a personal relationship with God. The Bible says in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, Nor is there salvation in any other, for there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So we all know that we will die one day. And the question is, what then? You stand before God and he says, why should I let you in heaven? What would you tell him? When you come to the point of dying... And if you stand before God as judge, what will you say? Why should I let you in heaven? There's just one correct answer. Now, many Christians will make the mistake of describing their answer this way. Well, you know, I've, I've tried to be good. I've tried to be loving, kind. I love God. I tithe. I read my Bible. I go to church. I go to Sunday school. I sing in the choir. I play in the organ. We list all the things that we do, and none of them are bad. But you can do every one of those things and die and spend an eternity in hell. Because there must be a time when we repent of our sins, our personal Egypt, our personal bondage. Say, God, I'm hopelessly lost. But I believe your son, Jesus Christ, my Lord, my Savior, lived a perfect, sinless life. And thus was able to pay my sin debt in full. And you offer forgiveness. I repent of my sin. I trust Jesus to be my Lord and Savior. I invite you into my life, into my heart. The moment you do that, God gives you the, the gift of eternal life. The question is, have you personally repented of sin and trusted Jesus to be your Lord and Savior? Let's suppose you have. I'd like to be like a Joshua. When he looked at his people toward the end of his ministry, he looked at his people and he said, Choose for yourselves today whom you will serve. Joshua had not been perfect. There were times he allowed the people to go wrong and God disciplined them for it. When they went up and found both the battle of Ai, they got defeated. But when they stopped and did it God's way, they walked in victory. So I ask you a question today. Are you willing to take a stand? It clearly reveals that you have God's Word as the foundation of your faith. If you do, God says, I'll meet all of your needs. You'll be prosperous. And you'll have success. 
Father, I pray the Holy Spirit would make clear the truths that I've tried to share. That if there are any here today, any listening by television, that do not have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, they would repent of their sin and trust Him to be their personal Lord and Savior. I pray that, Father, if some of us are here today and we've been living out of the will of your for our lives, inconsistent with your word, that we would come in obedience and confession of sin and live in fellowship with you. Be with our people as they consider decisions they need to make today. In Christ's name, amen. Our ministers will be at the front. If you need to trust Christ, if you need to make a significant rededication of your life, if you'd like to join First Baptist Church, the doors of the church are open. We invite you to stand and sing, and you come forward as we do so.